couple of things as we jump in this morning. Um, like Burke said, for class this morning, we're going to be in here for the adults. We are going to spend a few minutes previewing Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings for the winter and into the spring, but we're also going to spend some time, I'm going to interview um, kind of a special person um, who was real fundamental and instrumental in the beginning of Shiloh Road. Because coming up at the end of February, we're going to celebrate our 40th anniversary as a church. And so we want to spend some time over the months of February, January and February looking back so that we can look forward. Because it's so important that we learn to celebrate the past and where we have been because it is the foundation of our future as we move forward. And so we're going to spend some time. So if you especially are newer to Shiloh Road, you need to stick around this morning because we're going to talk about the beginnings of this church and how we got to this point, um, basically 40 years from when this church began. And so stick around for that. I promise you it'll be worth your while. Um, So the other thing, um, we now have an app. There is an app for that. Um, If you go to the iTunes store or to Google Play, you can search Shiloh Road Connect. If you do it while I'm preaching, I will take your phone up. (laughs) And I was a youth minister, so believe me. But search Shiloh Road, and on that app, you can do several things. Um, We have said from the beginning, we want you to be, as we revision, we want you to be in an e-group. Because we believe that life change happens in circles and not rows. And so on there, there is a place for you to click, and you can sign up for an e-group if you're not in an e-group. If you need to change groups, you can also change your group there. Um, And we will get you plugged in so you can do that through the app. You can also give online. It connects you to the media and sermons. Um, It connects you to a map to our church. Um, You're here, so congratulations. You shouldn't need that. Um, And then our Facebook page. So um, after you leave here today or during the break, Shiloh Road Connect. If you just search Shiloh Road Church of Christ, it will pop up. For everyone who doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about, Ask your grandchildren, Um, and they will help you get connected as well. Um, As we start this morning, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would meet us in this space this morning. Father, that you would be here with us, that your abiding presence would fill us, and Father, change us. Father, we thank you for this time we have this morning in your word, and we thank you for the blessing of this life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start with a word, and I want you to think of the very first thing that comes to your mind when I say this word. Are you ready? Baby. Baby. So what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear baby? For some of you, it is diapers and powder. For others, it is your husband elbowing you in the bed saying the baby is awake. Not me. I sleep through that. Um, (laughs) For others, it is new clothes and baby showers. For others, it is the expectation and the waiting. 
For others, it is on the other side as you are grandparents now and you get to have these little babies and have no responsibility other than to fill them with sugar and then hand them back to their parents. Shame on you. But baby brings all different sorts of emotions and triggers and words to your mind. So I'm going to try it with another word. And I'm going to say this word. I want you to kind of think of what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Church. For some of you, you think of family. For some of you, you think of a routine that was a part of your life growing up. Others think of singing or worship. Others think of long, boring sermons. Hopefully not here. For others, you think of fellowship and fried chicken. For others, you think of home. But regardless of whatever it is you think of when you think of church, I wonder if this word comes to mind. And the word is risk. And for most of you, you think, well, what does risk have anything to do with being a church? But what if risk was supposed to be one of the foundational elements of this place and of this, what started as a movement? So you fast forward to 2017 and you hear the word church and you probably think of coming together on a Sunday morning and maybe a Wednesday night, sitting in pews, singing some songs, plates passing by, a sermon. But do you really think about risk? Because as the church began, risk was so much a part of what it meant to be a church. And I am convinced that today, risk is still supposed to be foundational for us being a church. And if risk is not a part of what it means to be a church today, I wonder if we're really following Jesus fully. See, the word risk is a noun, and it means the possibility of loss or injury. You see, as people began following Jesus and these first communities of Jesus' followers began to form, there was this enormous risk associated with it. Understand, the risk in the beginning was a cross. A cross that Jesus finds himself on. And so he asked the question, 
what is the risk of being a church? Throughout history, there have been some amazing risk takers. In the 70s, a young entrepreneur, hopeful of becoming an actor and a movie writer, turned down a hundred thousand plus dollars because the producer said the movie he wrote he could not star in. And for this man and his family, money was tight and it was very difficult making ends meet. But yet he turned down over a hundred thousand dollars because he needed to play the lead role in the movie he wrote. That man is named Sylvester Stallone. And the movie that he wrote was Rocky One. He ended up taking $10,000 from a producer so that he could not only write the movie, but play the starring role. And I wonder, how did that risk turn out? There's five Six, okay, there's four Rockies, really, right? Okay. In 1927, a young army pilot decided that he was going to make a trek across the Atlantic Ocean in a plane called the Spirit of St. Louis. Charles Lindenberg made what was at that time the longest transatlantic flight in history. See, other people had done it before, but his flight was almost double the distance and time in the cockpit of the previous pilots. Then, one year later, Amelia Earhart made the same journey as Charles Lindbergh did. She made this journey in her plane, and then about 10 years later, in 1937, decided that she was going to be the first person to circumnavigate the globe. And her plane disappeared somewhere over the Pacific Ocean. A massive risk. And then, in 1955, during the height of the Civil Rights Movement, a a lady around 40 years old named Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus, a risk that ended up costing her jail time, but a risk that led to major movement in civil rights in our country. See, these people took enormous risks for the good of something other than themselves. And so when we talk about church and taking risks, understand the purpose of the church, the reason we exist is something other than ourselves. And if we are to exist as a church, we must be willing to take risks. And so as we begin this morning, we're going to talk about the risk of God. And that probably sounds really funny to hear us say the risk of God. What risk did God take? 
And over the next couple of months, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, just kind of going um, chapter by chapter through the book and looking at this. But I want us to look this morning at the risk of God. And so this is going to be on the screen, starting in verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Everything Paul does in this letter begins and ends with worship. It begins with seeing God as he is, seeing Christ as he is. And so then he says, for he chose us in him. He chose us in him. And this phrase, in him or in Christ, he's going to use about 22 times over the course of these six chapters in Ephesians. About 21 of them happen in the first three chapters. Where he's laying this foundation of theology for us. And then when he gets to chapter 4, he's going to say, therefore. Based on everything we understand and how we see Christ. Therefore, here is how we live. So he says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ according to his will and pleasure. So he chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us before you were. He chose us before the world existed. He chose his people. And he said, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. This is what God did. To the praise, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So here's what God does. And Paul begins, verse 3 and verse 6, with praising God for who he is and for what he has done. A life of worship, of exalting Christ, is at the very center of everything Paul knows and believes. And what we've said is we've talked about our mission and our vision as a church. That we want to be people who exalt Christ because exalting Christ gives us new eyes. It gives us the ability to see people and to see the world that God created as it is. It is the foundation of everything we do and everything we know and everything we understand because that foundation leads us forward to our relationship with other people. That it begins with loving God and seeing the world through his eyes. And so we've said, we want to exalt Christ, we want to encourage one another, and we want to engage our neighbor. 
and understand there is incredible risk on God's part in this whole plan. Because the risk that God takes is the risk of love. God takes the risk of loving people before the world was made. See, to love is to choose to freely and fully give yourself to another. To love someone is to freely and fully give yourself to another person. And there is an enormous amount of risk in doing that. Because what do you do when you make the decision before the foundation of the world is laid to love these people and then these people choose not to love you in return. What do you do when you choose these people and they choose not to follow you? What do you do when you choose to love someone and they do not love you in return? See, love asks this incredibly important question. It asks, what do you do on the other side? What do you do when you choose to love someone and they don't love you back? How do you respond? That is the question that love asks. Love asks the question, how do you respond on the other side? Now listen, if you're married or dating or engaged, have children, this is one of the most important questions that you have to be able to answer. How do you respond on the other side? And I don't know what the other side will necessarily be for you. But one of the things that we do in marriage is we make a commitment to someone for life. And one thing I am sure of at some point in that journey, they will disappoint you. They will let you down. And the question is, how do you respond on the other side? Because love has this enormous risk. They may choose not to love you in return. And so this question is foundational. So here's what Paul says. This is how God has loved. And in love, before the foundation of the world, he chose them. And what happens is human beings choose something other than God. 
And the question is, how will God respond on the other side? How will you respond on the other side? So here's what God does. Verse 7. In him, he says, in Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So how does God respond on the other side? When when God chooses to love someone and they choose not to return that love, God says he chose us to be adopted as sons, and we went our own way. And so what he does, if you can go back to verse 7 for me, Dustin. In him, in Christ, he gives us redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. So how does God respond? He redeems and he forgives. How does God respond to disobedience? How does he respond to people who choose to not love him in return? He sends his son to redeem and forgive. He redeems them through his blood and he forgives them of their sins. He gives them new life. And all of this comes in accordance with the riches of his grace that he says that he lavished upon us. That he poured out upon us. But you have to understand that as Paul is telling this story, he's telling a bigger story. Have you ever noticed that you can do that? You can tell one story, but you can be telling a bigger story just simply by the words that you use. For instance, when we talk about Rosa Parks, We talk about Rosa Parks not giving up her seat on a bus. But that's part of a bigger story. It's a story of slavery and of civil rights. It's a story of inequality and freedom. It is a story of injustice and oppression. And so when we tell this story... Just by telling this story, we're telling the story that's bigger than just her. And so when Paul tells this story, you have to understand there is a bigger story behind this simple story of Jesus' redemption and forgiveness that he offers. This is not just simply about you and forgiving you. 
And the language he uses is so poignant and so purposeful. He begins and he says, he chose us. And he gives this picture, there's this picture, understand, in the background of the the early patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These men that God chose to build his kingdom through. There's the story of Passover where blood was placed on the door frames of the houses. And that night, the Spirit passed over the homes with the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. It was that night, through the blood, that they were redeemed. And then the Exodus. As they're led through the Red Sea, through the water, away from their oppressors, And the larger oppressor is not just Pharaoh, and it's not just Egypt. It's sin and death. That there is this story behind the story that Paul is telling. What Christ has done, what God has done through Christ, is not just about you and I here and now. It's about the redemption of the whole world from the beginning of creation to eternity. That he is telling a bigger story and the language he uses is so purposeful. So God chooses to respond to his people's inobedience through offering his son to redeem and forgive to offer people a chance to enter into Christ. And this bookmarks the idea of exalting Christ. This is what Paul begins. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That his life begins by exalting Christ. See, there's some great ways to communicate with people. And then there are some really terrible ways. Um, Growing up in the 1990s, I got the pleasure of having a pager. You remember these? They lasted for three years. They were really important. Um... And in high school, in high school, like we didn't have cell phones. Only Zach Morris did. But you had a pager. And you would put the pager on your belt and you would tell your friends at school, just page me. And what you would do is when you wanted someone to call you on their phone, you would send them a page that came up with your phone number on it, alerting them that you need to call them back. Needless to say, this invention did not stick around very long. It is a terrible way of communicating with people. But there's this amazing way of communicating with people. To simply go to them and show them. 
to go to them and walk alongside of them. And what God says is, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son to go to people to walk alongside of them. And in him, they're going to receive redemption through his blood and they're going to receive forgiveness of their sins, both past and future. That in Christ, in Christ, we find redemption through his blood. And the question, because of this background, this bigger story, is how do you enter into Christ? And I would simply say it's as God's people have always done. It is through the water. God's people enter into forgiveness from their oppressors through the water. They pass through on the other side into new life. It's what baptism represents to us. That we enter into the water and doing so, we enter into a relationship with Christ. And on the other side of the water, we have new life. Just as God's people have always done. That is through the water, into new life, that we find life in Christ. So, to love. To love is to choose to freely and fully give yourself to another. And Paul says this is what God did for us. He fully and freely gave of himself to us. This is what Christ did for us. He fully and freely chose to give of himself to us. And with love, Listen, there is so much good that comes with love. With love comes joy and excitement and contentment and strength and hope and kindness and awe. Like we get to experience this full range of emotions. But the reason we say love is risky is because at the very same time you can experience these amazing emotions, you also experience vulnerability and shame and misunderstanding and hurt and rejection and failure and suffering. Now here's the deal. You do not get to choose which ones you will experience. Because when you fully and freely give yourself to someone else, you have no idea how they will respond to that love. You have no idea. And you will get the good and you will get the bad, but you do not get to choose. And what happens so often in life 
is we begin to experience the vulnerability and the hurt and the shame and the rejection and the misunderstanding, and we begin to pull back. And we say, I'm not going to fully and freely give myself completely in the way that I once did, because when I did that, here's what happened to me. And so many times we walk around with guards up, fully afraid to give ourselves to other people. Because when you give yourself to someone else, there is the possibility that they could hurt you. This is the story of the cross. When you give yourself to other people, you are at their mercy as to how they will respond. And yet we are never more like Christ than when we choose to fully and freely give ourselves to other people. So what risk did God take? He chose to fully and freely give himself to you. To communicate his love for you through what he gives. And what he gives is not just his life, but as Paul's going to continue in chapter 2, It's going to be life in him. And just as Christ was buried, and just as Christ was raised, in him, you have the same spiritual blessings. Verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, and there's the phrase again, in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So what's God's purpose? What's this bigger story that God is telling? What's this big story of these people that he chose before the foundation of the world? These people he chose that chose not to love him back What's the story that he's telling? That his purpose is to bring all things to unity under Christ. What's the bigger picture? What's the bigger story that Christ is reconciling and redeeming and making all things new? And just as the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and just as the story of the Passover, and just as the story of the Exodus, God is still at work redeeming his lost creation. And he offers you the invitation to enter into new life in Christ. That's his purpose. In Acts, just before Jesus ascends, says, verse 6, They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time 
going to restore the kingdom of Israel. That's what's supposed to happen. Are you ready to do that now? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That I am sending you out with this message of reconciliation and redemption. And you are going to be my chosen people to take my message to this world. One of the very early church fathers tells a story of Jesus after he ascended to heaven. And he's standing around and people begin to come around him and ask him questions. And the angel Gabriel comes up and begins to ask Jesus, so, so what now? What, what are we going to do from here? He says, well, I've left Peter and James and John and some other disciples, and they're going to go and they're going to take this message into the world. And Gabriel looks down over the earth and he says, well, they seem to be kind of messing this up. They, don't be, they aren't as committed as they need to be. They aren't um, as into this as they, they should be. So what, what are you going to do? What, what's your next plan? And Jesus looks and says, there is no other plan. This is it. That these people who have entered into life in Christ, who have been blessed by Christ, would take his message into this world. And to do that, you will have to fully and freely give yourself to other people. And you will have to put their needs in front of yours. And you will have to risk sometimes everything you have because you're going to have to be vulnerable and there's going to be failure and there's going to be things that don't go right and you're going to get hurt. But understand, this is the risk that God took for you. Not knowing how you would respond. Not knowing if you would accept that love. Not knowing this incredible risk to make himself vulnerable. To suffer. The question. If you are in Christ... If you are a follower of Jesus, what are you willing to risk? Because to follow him means that we leave our safety and security behind.
Sometimes it means we leave the comfort of our nice, cozy pews. Because we have to go and engage this world. That it's not just about exalting Christ. That exalting Christ has to move us to loving one another. And it has to move us to engaging your neighbor. You know, we filled out those art of neighboring cards. And I hope that you still have yours. I hope it's not something you filled out, said we're going to spend three weeks talking about this, we're done with it. I hope and I pray that you are still doing everything you can to engage the people that God has placed around you. Because there is no plan B. There is no plan B. God took this enormous risk. And so I simply ask, church, what risk are we willing to take as we begin 2017? For some of you, it's the risk of entering into Christ. And you say, well, that's not, oh, that's a risk. Because there is no way of knowing if what Christ offers you is better than what this world offers you until you've jumped in, until you've experienced it. You can look at it and it says, well, there's no way to know until you take that risk. So if you need to, as we begin 2017, I just want to say, simply ask you to take a risk. To come follow a rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And to enter into a relationship with him. To enter into that relationship and find on the other side a life so abundant and free more than anything you could ever ask or imagine. So we offer you that invitation today. If we could pray for you, we're going to have our ministry staff, our shepherds around the the auditorium. We would love just simply to put our arm around you, pray for you. But whatever we could do to bless you this morning, we pray that you would let us. So come while we stand and sing.